Today we, we remember Palm Sunday. It was 2,000 years ago when our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, basically finished up his earthly ministry. In doing that, he came down the Mount of Olives and presented himself as the Messiah to Israel. And of course, people were shouting in the streets, Hosanna, blessed is he, uh, blessed is the son of David. They were rejoicing. They thought maybe this is the moment when Jesus, who had performed all these miracles, did all these great teachings, would finally, this would be the moment at Passover of all time, which remember the deliverance of the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Maybe this time now he'll deliver us from Rome. What a great time that would have been. And so a lot of people were expecting a king-like Messiah to come and to conquer his enemies and give peace to the land. And uh, that the swords would be beaten into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks and uh, everything that would be associated with that. But like we've said, as we've looked at Isaiah 53 over the past few weeks, that Jesus was really the unexpected Messiah. It was the Messiah that the, the people, the Jewish people, really did not expect that fact that who has believed our report? Who is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who, who would have believed this? Who would have believed this message? And we read that he had just a very basic, uh, humble upbringing. He was a, a root out of dry ground coming from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And here is Nazareth, that shoot town as it's translated. Nazareth, here comes the, the, the Nazarene. It's interesting that there was no comeliness. There was no beauty that we desired. He was despised and rejected of men. Uh, the, Jesus himself, that the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. Jesus was despised and rejected even of his lifetime. Like I said, Jesus didn't go, contrary to what movies you've seen or pictures you've seen, Jesus did not walk around with a halo all over the Galilee area. Okay? It wasn't like that. I, I'll be honest with you, a lot of times I, I get... This is a little soapbox thing. Whenever I see movies about Jesus or the Bible, a lot of times I feel like, okay, I'm going to be disappointed. Because why? They have Jesus looking at some unearthly figure. He was a man of sorrows. and a creative, He was man, very man. He was God, very God. And so it's very important that we understand we should look at the Bible to see in the plain sense who this person is. As we think about Palm Sunday and Jesus coming down again, that, that triumphal entry coming into the gate of the temple area, the eastern gate, which is now blocked up to prohibit any would-be Messiah from entering. But one day that, that gate will be opened and the Son of Man, the Son of David shall enter in as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amazing as we see that. As we think about this, again, Jesus to the people of his time was a great disappointment. He was a, a Messiah that did not live up to their expectations. A Messiah that would, again, conquer their enemies. A Messiah that would give peace to the land. And uh, he would establish rule. The thing is this. They were wanting an outward uh, circumstantial peace. But what Jesus came to die for us for was to give us that inner peace. That peace is that passes all understanding. This is the important thing we have. Jesus came unexpectedly. And he was a Messiah who would suffer for his people. So today we are talking about the suffering Messiah, the suffering Messiah. As we think about Palm Sunday, again, what a tri tremendous day that would have been. The people were thronged. By the way, why were the people even there in the first place? A lot of times, again, we read the Bible from Gentile eyes. Jesus comes on purpose on that day. Why is that? On that Palm Sunday, what was the season that, was, that, that they were in? Passover. That day, remember, there was three feasts that the Jewish people had to go up year to year. Passover, the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, 
And then in the fall, which would have been the Feast of Tabernacles, three times a year, the Jewish males had to come into Jerusalem. So people from all over the country, and really at this point, even the known world, the Roman Empire, for example, are coming to Jerusalem. They're going up to Jerusalem to get their lambs ready for Passover. It was Lamb Selection Day, the 10th day. And this is what Jesus is coming down. He's coming on Lamb Selection Day down the Mount of Olives. And that's when people notice him. This it could be it. Here is the Lamb of God, though, who would be slain for the sins of mankind. He would be the one to take away the sins of the world. Very important as we see this. But again, I want us to, to understand this. And we've talked about this in weeks past. That a lot of times when we look at, the, we look at Jesus, a lot of Christians... They, we think of him as a, uh, like I said, a Gentile Jesus. Uh, understand this, the Old Testament is very important for us to understand. Very important for us to know and to read. Why is that? Because Jesus did not just happen to be born in Bethlehem. Jesus did not just one day pop up and decide to be baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus did not just decide to do this miracle and that miracle. Jesus did not just appear and go to the cross. Jesus did not just happen to die. Jesus did not just happen to rise again. All this had a foundation, a biblical foundation, that goes back to the times of Moses and the prophets and the kings of Israel. The fact of the matter is this, that the Bible is one complete book. Again, our Jewish friends, they would accuse us of this, that Jesus, that's a Gentile God. The New Testament is a Gentile. That's the Christian Bible. That's how, that's how they see it. And by the way, a lot of Gentiles think the same thing. We think of Jesus as a Gentile Jesus. But our fact, our, our, the important thing is this, and we've said it before, that Jesus is Jewish. Amen. He's a son of Abraham, a son of David. Look at Matthew chapter 1. How does it start out? The genealogy of Jesus. It goes definitively where Jesus is linked to, from Abraham to David to, to now Jesus. Very important as we see this, okay? So with that in mind, again, we do not have a Canadian Jesus we do not have a Chinese Jesus. We don't even have a Cameroonian Jesus, okay? We have a Jewish Jesus. As that's important to know that the Bible that we have here is a complete book. It's a complete story from start to finish. And it, and it bears our understanding that we must pay attention to the whole counsel of God, just not select verses, okay? This is very important, okay? So we go now a little farther. This is... I'm going to need the guy's help back there. Maybe the battery's going. All right, there we go. Okay, so two things. This is kind of a little bit of review from last week. The th two things to note the Hebrew Bible, and we're talking about that. I'm referring to the Old Testament. It was originally written in Hebrew with a few parts in Aramaic. But nonetheless, the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Bible is a, is a book. It's a messianic hope. It carries on a messianic message, the Messiah, the anointed, okay, who would come into rule and reign supreme. We think of it as a Messiah as a redeemer. But the Messiah here, the messianic hope of the Old Testament enables the believers to have confidence in the scriptures. Very important. Enables believers to have confidence in the scriptures. In other words, when you look at the Old Testament prophecies like Isaiah 53, for example, it should give you hope and confidence in that the Bible is true and it points to none other than there has to be a fulfillment of a true Messiah. A true Messiah. The second element is this, that the Messianic hope of the Old Testament is foundational in identifying Jesus as the true Messiah. So again, question number one, is Isaiah 53 even about a Messiah, let alone Jesus? Believe it or not, there are some of our Jewish friends would 
disagree, say, no, that's the nation of Israel who is suffering. That's the nation of Israel who's being cut off. That's the nation of Israel who's been despised and rejected. That's a common thought. It's a common teaching in Jewish society. And so again, this is talking about a Messiah. And we're going to find out today if that's the case. And if so, who is the Messiah? So that's the two questions we have. So the Old Testament is extremely important as we look through this, okay? So in Isaiah 53, we do read that the Messiah would suffer for the sins of his people. This was what the Jewish people, they would be brought into restored fellowship with God, and this fellowship would provide even to the whole world. But again, Isaiah 53 captures our attention by pointing us to the true Messiah of Israel. Even as the Messiah was given praise on Palm Sunday, in just a few days, he would be despised and rejected of men. So I invite you to join me as we read this chapter, think about the sufferings of Jesus, the Messiah. Franz Delitzsch, who wrote a commentary, he himself was a Jewish believer, he wrote this, that it looks like Isaiah 53 was written beneath the cross of Golgotha. Very true as we think about that, okay? But the purpose of this song, this is the, one of the servant songs of Isaiah. Again, so think of it, we think of it just as scripture reading, but this was actually, in those times, it was a song. It was to be sung. By the way, sometimes the truths that we sing should reinforce the truths that we believe in the Bible, right? So very important. But the purpose of this psalm, of this song here in Isaiah 53, is this. For all to believe in the servant who God has sent. That's the purpose, that we could believe. Again, verse 1 of chapter 53. Who has believed our report? This announcement that we're making to the whole world, the good news. Who has believed it? Again, like I said, our Jewish friends said for the whole world, for that matter, most people have not believed in this report. Most people have not believed in this truth. How is it important for us to know it and for our neighbors to know it, both Jew and Gentile? Very important as we see that. So let's now take a little bit closer look at this. So the Isaiah 53, we're going to be looking at two main things here in, uh, in this passage of what we've looked at today, verses 4 through 9. Two aspects of the suffering Messiah. The suffering Messiah, we're going to look at his humility and we're going to look at his innocence. Two key aspects of the suffering Messiah we're going to look at today. We're going to look at his humility and his innocence. So I want us to start reading here in verse, uh, verse 4. It says here, Surely he had borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, and we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. I want us to look at the ministry of the Messiah right now. And I want us to look at something very interesting something that we probably haven't considered before. This is where the Bible really dovetails together here, okay? We're going to look at the, the, the leper Messiah. This is his ministry, okay? The ministry of the Messiah is here. It says here again in verse 4, he has borne our griefs. It's interesting here that the word grief in Hebrew is chole, which means someone who is sick or diseased. That's the idea. It's someone who is, now it's interesting, when we look at the life of Christ as well, we see many sufferings he did, or that he, he had, but we never see him actually sick. We don't see Jesus having a cold or the flu or, or even COVID for that matter, okay? We don't see Jesus having that, okay? We don't see him having that. However, did not Jesus associate himself with those who were sick? Yes. That's the point of this passage here. It's interesting that uh, in the Babylonian Talmud, this is rabbinical writings that was written a couple hundred years after uh, the, after the early church, okay, after Jesus was here. The Babylonian Talmud mentions this. How would the Messiah be recognized? 
Again, they did not believe Jesus was the Messiah, but this is how they did. It's interesting. They wrote here, the Messiah would have an association with the leper. The Messiah, this is important to understand. He would be sitting there with the lepers. He would be carefully bandaging the wounds of the lepers one by one, and he would not cast them aside. That's the message. It's interesting here when we think of this, that the idea that he has borne our griefs, he has borne our literary diseases is the idea that we have here. He has borne our diseases and he has borne our sicknesses. And it's talking again of how he bore our diseases. Think of leprosy. Here's the point. What is this? What is this? Why is this a big deal? When you had leprosy back in the Bible times, what was your condition? Not good. <laughs> it was terminal. What is someone, if you had leprosy, what did they do with that person? They were segregated. They were put outside of the community. That person who had leprosy, see how well you know your Bible, what is something, you see this even in the Gospels, what is some, something that person had to do? Unclean! Unclean! Okay? They were segregated from sighted, basically unclean. They were not permitted un, into the camp. Back in uh, Leviticus, and actually tonight we're going to de- delve a little bit into this, briefly at least. But it's interesting that if someone was going to be observed with leprosy to them, for them to be clean, they had to go to the priests in order to be declared clean. At that point, then they could be brought back into the camp, into fellowship with the community. Here's the point. Because of our, and we're going to get to it later, our sicknesses, our diseases, our sin, it has kicked us out of the fellowship of God, just like a leper. We can't get back in. We are diseased. Our righteousness is putrid, as filthy rags. There's nothing within us humanly. A leper cannot cure himself. Okay? Even so, we in our sinful condition cannot clean ourselves either. Nothing you can do that will clean yourself. You have to depend on, if you will, a priest who would declare you clean. Enter in the suffering Messiah. The Messiah comes and he associates this. It's interesting. When Jesus healed these lepers, you go back to Matthew chapter 8, for example, how does Jesus heal these lepers? He touches them. That is forbidden. You don't touch a leper. Okay? The idea is that it could be very communicable back then. You did not do that. For Jesus to touch a leper, by the way, if a regular priest did that, what would happen to that priest? Whether or not he got leprosy, what would he be considered? Unclean. Unclean or impure. He would have to then go out the camp. He would have to go through his own rituals and all that in order to be brought back in. Jesus didn't have to do that. Why? Because he is the pure one, the sinless one. And if he touched the unclean, the leper, guess what? He's still clean. He is the ultimate high priest. Amen. This is what it's talking about here, folks. And so again, when we think of the leper Messiah here, he has borne our griefs. He has borne our diseases, our leprosy, if you will, that shunned us out of the camp. Guess what happens? The goal of the cleansing of the lepers was to bring them back into the camp. And we see this here very importantly. I want us to turn to the book. Hold your place in Isaiah 53. We'll be back there. Go to Matthew chapter 8. I want you to see this clear as crystal, okay? Isaiah chapter, no, not Isaiah, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And 
just generally kind of look at the beginning here, at, at beginning of verse 1. And it's talking about here that there's a leper that comes to him. Leper, verse 2. Behold the leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, make me clean. Verse 3, he, he heals the leper, and he was cleansed in verse 4. Okay? Later on, he heals a centurion's servant. And then he heals Peter's mother-in-law, beginning in four, verse 14. So there's our, these are three miracles back-to-back where Jesus is healing people who are basically diseased or possessed, okay, is the idea. And then, now look with me, very importantly, verse 16, Matthew 8, verse 16. And when even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils and cast out spirits with this word and healed all that were sick. That verse there is kind of a if you will, a, a quick synopsis of what just took place earlier in the chapter. Why did Jesus do this? Look with me in verse 17. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, our griefs. That's the idea here, okay? So Jesus here is the leper Messiah. It's interesting, when you go back to Isaiah 53, okay, let's look a little bit deeper into this. I wish we could probably spend the whole morning message just on this concept, but I, I will move on. But I want to point out one more thing. He had borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. We didn't esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. It's interesting that the word that we have here, stricken, smitten, and afflicted, this is like when someone all of a sudden gets that disease, that forbidden leprosy, for example. I want you to think for a moment back in the Old Testament, Old Testament times when Aaron... And Miriam, they had a problem with, uh, uh, with Moses' wife. And what happened to Miriam? She was stricken, smitten, and afflicted with leprosy. She was outside of the camp for seven days. And guess what? Through Aaron, the priest, then was brought back into the camp. This is a little picture of what is taking place here right now. Very beautiful, I would say. So she was smitten, stricken, and afflicted. And guess what? Jesus took that upon himself for us. Not only did he take our diseases, he, he bore those diseases for us. Amazing. As we move on here, let's now go on to the next thing. Let's look at the details of the Messiah's suffering. In verse 5, verses that we, we are familiar with, says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. As we look at the details here, we notice three main things that he, he was wounded bruised, and he was chastised for us. And even he was striped, if you want to say that. As you think about it, the word wounded here has the idea of really, uh, in, in Hebrew, has the idea of being pierced through. The Messiah was pierced through, the suffering servant. I mean, that's a quick, who, who, fit, who fits that bill? Does Isaiah fit the bill? Does King David fit that bill? No. Only Jesus Christ fit that bill when he was nailed to the cross. As we think about that, he, in other words, this is the point. The suffering servant suffered a violent death. That's what we see here. And then it says he was bruised for our iniquities as well. The word bruised here means literally crushed, to be crushed under the weight of our iniquities. It's interesting, back in Genesis chapter 3, we read something very similar. That God said, he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her. He's talking about the serpent. The serpent's seed and the woman's seed. It says, thou shalt bruise his head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The idea of a bruise, today, someone gets a bruise, okay, you'll heal from it. Mostly, okay? It's just black and blue mark. 
But the idea that we have here is something even deeper. The word bruise really has the idea of a, basically a mortal wound. That's the idea. It's a mortal wound, okay? This isn't just a little, little fist fight in the back alley. This is a physical mortal combat that's taking place, an eternal combat. So this is what's happening to the servant. He was crushed or he was basically had suffered a mortal wound for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. The chastisement basically means he was punished for us, for our peace or for our well-being, for our benefit. And then by his stripes, we're here, the word stripes has the idea of a gaping wound as well. So in other words, the, the, the suffering servant, whoever this person is, is going through the ringer, folks. He's suffering a violent death. This is so important. And here's the thing. Why did the suffering servant go through all this? Why did the Messiah suffer so much? It's because this. He was, this is the reason for it. As we look at that, three main things. Verse 6 says this. All we like sheep. Why did the Messiah suffer? Because all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. As we think about this, this verse here, verse 6, is the heart of Isaiah 53. This is why the servant suffered. We look at that. This is the reason for his suffering. We know it's three things. There's three truths that we have here. Number one, we are sinners by nature. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's who we are. We are like sheep. We've gone astray. That's our sin nature. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. Okay? There's nothing we can do on that. It says we have turned everyone to his own way. We are also sinners by choice. Not only are we sinners by nature, we are sinners by choice. And in doing that, what happens? You sin enough, people are going to follow your example, for good or for bad, folks. We are sinners also by choice. But praise God, we also see a very important truth, that the Lord placed our sin that we, desper- that we committed, and he placed it not on us, but on his servant. He placed it on his servant, the Messiah. As we think about this, I'm reminded of something that happened some years ago. I was leading a tour in Israel. And uh, we were just outside of Bethlehem, uh, just for different reasons. We just decided to take an outside view of of Bethlehem. And while we were there, there was a Bedouin shepherd that came with uh, a a flock of sheep, probably about 30 to 50 sheep, somewhere in there. It was a good good group. And of course, our tour group was so excited. Here's a shepherd, great photo opportunity. Here's the shepherd and all the sheep, great photo opportunity. The shepherd was so happy to see us and smiled and everything for that. And then all of a sudden, about five seconds later, I'm shouting, hey, your sheep, they're running for the highway. The whole flock of them. I guess we were having mutton for supper that night, okay? <laughs> but seriously, this whole, this whole episode happened. And then that shepherd goes running after the sheep, okay? For that split moment, the shepherd turned its back on those sheep right there. That's what happened. And the same thing is, we are like that sheep, folks. It doesn't take much for us to be distracted from God. We have been turned to our own way, not God's way. The thing is this. People are trying to be right in their own mind with God or with their fellow man. The thing is this. You can't do it in your own strength because of our sinfulness, folks. Our sin nature. We are bent on sin and sinful choices. We desperately need a shepherd, a true shepherd, a good shepherd who will not just... Here's an here's interesting parallel that we have here. Okay, In the Old Testament, the sheep died for the shepherd. In the New Testament, the shepherd died for the sheep. Think about that. In the Old Testament, the sheep died for the shepherd. 
The shepherd died for the sheep in the New Testament. This is the important thing. It is on this that the Messiah bore our sin, our iniquity. This really illustrates well Romans 5, verse 8. But God commanded or displayed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, sheep going astray, what? Christ, the Messiah, died for us. That's the suffering servant that we have here. Very important as we see this here. Let's now look here. Very important. The Messiah is suffering. This is talking about his humility, verses 4 through 6. The Messiah's suffering was a humble act of service for our transgressions, for our iniquities, for our peace, and for our healing. Just like the leper, he's bringing us back into the camp. But now we turn, there's a turning point now, and we talk about the Messiah's innocence. Okay, verse 7, it says here, Yet he was oppressed and afflicted. He opened out his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. Here's the thing, as we think about this, over and over through the scriptures, Jesus is like that Passover lamb that gave his life. The blood was spread over the doorpost of the house for the firstborn and really for that family to be saved. We also see that Jesus is declared as the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And we also see in the book of Revelation that 28 times Jesus is referred to as the Lamb who is now victorious in his sufferings. Pretty amazing. But here's the point. Jesus as the Lamb went forth to his death, to his sufferings, voluntarily and willingly. This is talking about his innocence. He went voluntarily in Italy and in and uh, willingly. In other words, Jesus didn't have anything to hide. He wasn't trying to defend himself. If anything, he just defended the name of the Lord. But as he did that, he went forward willingly. What was the Messiah's fate? The fate of Messiah is found in verse 8. He was taken from prison from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living, and for the transgression of my people was he stricken. As we look here at the fate of the Messiah, he was tried in haste. It's interesting that when Jesus was arrested, he was tried five times. Before Annas, high priest, or he was tried before the Sanhedrin, he was tried before Pilate, Herod, and then Pilate again. All in the middle of the night. That was an illegal trial that happened. So five times, he was tri- that's the idea that we have here at the very beginning. He was taken or literally snatched away or snatched out of prison from judgment. Talks about that. And then it says he was cut off from the land of the living. He was cut off. What's that imply? If you're cut off from the land of the living, that means you are dead. The, he died. The Messiah died. The servant died. Very important. And then it says that he was stricken. It goes back to the, the reason why he went through the suffering. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Very important thing as we look at this here. As we think about this, he was the, tr- the purpose of his death was for our sins, for our transgressions. As we look at this here, it says in verse 8 again, who shall declare his generation? The idea is this. His contemporaries, those that were around him, who stood up for Jesus while he was on trial? Not one. The idea is from that, who declares the generation? The idea is, think of it this way. Who gives a hoot? No one, no one professed that Jesus was their friend, their Messiah, anything. He was abandoned. And so we have here that Jesus, the Messiah, the suffering servant, is here. He's literally abandoned by his own people. And even today, Jesus is even treated this way. I would say he's the best kept secret of the world. He's the best kept secret of Israel. 
If they only knew who this was. By the way, do we talk about Jesus today? A lot of Jewish people say, no, that's a forbidden word. You know, on the streets of Israel, they do not call him Jesus or Yeshua. They call him by a different name. They call him Yeshu. What is Yeshu? It's an acrostic. means, may his name be blotted out. We don't talk about Jesus. That's how Jesus is treated on the streets of Israel today. Now, praise God. God is opening minds and hearts to him. We praise the Lord for that. We praise God for who's, who's ministering among those people. We praise God for that. But nonetheless, Jesus is the best kept secret. He was abandoned. He was stricken. And the fate of the Messiah, we now go here to the tomb of the Messiah. Verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Very quickly as we look through this, it talks about the faith, the, the tomb of the Messiah. His grave with the wicked. Who was that? He was crucified among what? Two thieves, two wicked. It's interesting, that's plural right there. And then next, he was with the rich in his death. That's singular. Who was that rich person he was associated with death with? Joseph of Arimathea, who was part of that Sanhedrin, who was very wealthy, who gave of his own tomb, his family tomb, for let Jesus to use it. Literally to rent it out for the weekend, okay? That's all Jesus needed for. Praise God for that, Okay. So as we think about this, it's interesting how even to the detail that Jesus, or that the Messiah made his grave with the wicked, plural, and with the rich, singular, in his death. Jesus fits, there's no other person who fits that description. You couldn't have scripted out any better. And why? Because this is the important thing. He goes back to the point of his innocence. Because neither, he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. The Messiah here is innocent. It's interesting, when we look at the innocence of the Messiah... We look at an interesting thing. In Jesus' own life, the innocence of Messiah, Jesus himself declared himself to be innocent. What wrong have I done, he asked. Also, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, he said, I wash my hands of innocent blood. His wife even said, I had a dream that this man is innocent. And then that was later mentioned by the thief in the cross. This man has done no wrong, but we have done wrong. Even the centurion at the cross, that Roman soldier, truly this man was the son of God. He understood the innocence. And then later on, the apostles even mentioned this. And this is where I want us to conclude today. Go with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter, chapter 2. There we go. I need to get, make sure I'm on the right one myself. 1 Peter chapter 2. Very precious verses that we see here. It's talking about Jesus, leaving this example that we should follow in the steps. Look with me, beginning in verse 22. 1 Peter 2, 22. Jesus, who did no sin, neither was any guile or deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He was that lamb led to the slaughter. Who is himself bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes or wounds ye are healed. That's Isaiah 53. For why? For ye were a sheep going astray, but now are returned to the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. This is Isaiah 53 being quoted here. And Peter and the rest of the apostles understood that Jesus also was innocent. Jesus was innocent. There's nothing that he did wrong. He was the pure one, the holy one, the sinless one, folks. He was the only one that could change our night into day from sin to salvation. He was the only one that could bring us from slavery of sin to freedom in Christ. He was the only one that could do that. So as we think about this here, 
Isaiah 53 presents us the two great characteristics of the Messiah. He would serve as the humble sin bearer and also as the innocent lamb of God. There is no other person that fits this description of the servant other than Jesus the Messiah. I like what Dr. F.B. Meyer said this. Beautiful quote. He says, There is only one brow upon which the crown of thorns will fit. Only one brow that the crown of thorns will fit. And that fits none other than Jesus the Messiah. Jesus suffered and died, not just to cover your sins, but to take them away. Isaiah 53, it challenges you to behold the suffering servant who died in your place for your sins. And he begs you, he urges you to come to the cross, to believe on him. And this is the point of Isaiah 53. Believe in the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah of Isaiah 53. This chapter will change your life. Let God's word work through you. This will change your life. God's word, as we mentioned in Sunday school, does not return void. Let God's word speak for itself. Open your heart and your mind to the Lord. And his mercy will flow to you as you behold Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I pray today that your heart's been stirred, even as mine, as we've looked at this precious passage of Isaiah chapter 53. In a few moments, we're going to be taking of the Lord's Supper, and I pray that we have taken time in our own hearts to think of, again, the great suffering that Jesus did. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And not just to fill in a nice story that we think about at Easter time, folks. He really did it. He did it for you to redeem you, to bring you from outside the camp, a castaway, to bring you into fellowship with him. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Messiah, I urge you today, I urge you today to make sure of that. To come to, the Bible says these are written that you may know that you have eternal life by believing in none other than Jesus the Messiah. I invite you to do that. For the believer here, I challenge you today to grow in love with the Messiah. Forsake your sins, turn to him, follow him, live for him, and he will bless you. He will bless you until he returns.